Pastor Ray Bentley with strategy on sharing our faith. We're in a time where the world is challenging the church and they're asking us questions. Have you noticed that many times the questions that they ask are a trap? I think that we might learn something from Jesus. Learn to answer a question with another question. Perhaps Jesus' wisdom is something that our generation could learn something from. Spread Welcome to Maranatha Radio with Pastor Ray Bentley. Maranatha, bringing the message of Christ's soon return, the whole gospel to the whole world. Many times, believers look at evangelism more as a confrontation than an invitation. They see it as a debate to be won rather than a personal story to be told. Today, Pastor Ray brings some good guidance from the Gospel of Luke and Jesus himself about explaining spiritual things to seekers. Luke chapter 14, and in tonight's message, it is a night where Jesus is invited to a dinner, and it shows to us how important hospitality is, and in particular, not just friends and family and people that you like and enjoy, but the kingdom supernatural aspect of that love and compassion and generosity is when you extend that invitation out to people who don't get invited, or maybe they don't have family as such, or friends, or um, they're not in uh, circles where there are people that, that have means and care for one another. And, and honestly, you invite them and they can't pay you back or invite you to their house uh, or share, with, because they don't have maybe that, that same kind of home or environment. And uh, this was, as Jesus came, and he's on his way to Jerusalem, he is demonstrating kingdom living, kingdom character, kingdom values. These are times where we can begin being sensitive and reaching out in acts of love and kindness, not only to believers, but sometimes to those who are non-believers that will soften and prepare their hearts in the day of trouble that they themselves will say, you know, I need what you've got because my outer world is falling apart I need something that will sustain me uh, through the nights and through the tears and through the struggles. What is it that you have had so graciously, lovingly that you have shared with me? And you'll have the opportunity to share Christ with him. Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, says, Now it happened as he, Jesus, went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, that they watched him closely. And behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus, answering, spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees, and those lawyers would be the experts of the law, Jewish religious lawyers and Pharisees, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they kept silent. And he took him and healed him and let him go. And then he answered them, saying, which of you, having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit, will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him regarding these things. 
This is a very beautiful and a, and a powerful story of Jesus doing another healing. He's already done so. I think we've seen six or seven different healings of Jesus on the Sabbath. I realize that for us today, it's like, what is the big deal? And I can only explain it in this way. You're entering into another world, another time, and another culture. But those who were religious at that time, they had rules. I mean, God had made the Sabbath, and the Sabbath is a wonderful thing. It is uh, something that God gave as a gift to mankind. After, you know, he had created the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day, God stopped creating, and, and he, he rested. Not as it were he were tired, but he entered into rest. Uh, when you look at the sequence of creation, man being created on the sixth day, so six is the number of man, man's first full day in creation was one of rest, one of uh, retirement, one of fellowship. The whole day was designed to just relax, walk through the garden, and talk with God. How many think that's the way it ought to always be? So uh, it was only after sin came that curse came and thorns and thistles, and now by the sweat of your brow, you will work. <laughs> so work is the curse uh, in a way. But genuinely, um, it's not work per se, but work after the fall and after sin had entered. God wanted us to work in the garden, be creative in that way, but not with the struggles that came after the effects of the curse. So the Jewish people who had been given this Sabbath and this gift, and even now it's interesting how science catches up to what the Bible has to say. They can give you, you know, some doctors can give you the physical reasons why after so many hours of work, your body and, and the cells of your body uh, need and require a period of rest. The others, uh, doctors can tell you why your, your psyche, your mind, after so many hours of working, needs a break or needs a rest. Uh, then we have the spiritual principle of going and doing good works, but there comes a day of rest where we enter into communion and fellowship and rest with the Lord. Rest, spirit, soul, and body is something that God gave. It's a law, and, and, but it's more like a principle than something that you, know, you have to do. It's a gift. Well, it had slowly turned into something where they were measuring everything and they were, there were rules and if you break the rules and it became more and more external. And it got so bad that they would have said that it's breaking the Sabbath to heal someone. Partly because there were even in their rites, there were prayers and there were maybe sacrifices and there were things that you had to do and then to go and to pray and it was a lot of work for an average priest in those days following not only the law, but following the customs for someone to be healed. Now, Jesus didn't fit that category because he didn't go through all those, he, he just spoke the word and it was done. There was no work involved and the person was delivered. But he was breaking their interpretation, their preconceived ideas of the Sabbath. And so they're trying to trap him. This is the story then that involves Jesus being invited by a religious Pharisee to a dinner party. And then the things that transpire during this uh, dinner party at that evening and the conversation that follows. And Jesus teaches some powerful, profound aspects of the kingdom. Okay, let's note a few things. Number one, first of all, we note that it's interesting that Jesus was open to this invitation. Even though this was a setup, they were setting him up to trap him. 
But Jesus was invited to eat, and he said, I'm there. <laughs> so I want to follow Jesus' example. Amen? When you're invited and somebody's going to feed you a meal, go. You know, the, the, it's amazing to me how much the Bible talks about food. I love food. I love to eat. God made food for us to eat and to taste and to enjoy. And by the way, just because we get new spiritual bodies doesn't mean that ends. We're going to be able to eat during the millennium. Hallelujah! <laughs> Literally. I mean, the first thing that happens when Jesus comes after everything is established and, and the judgment initially and the sheep and the goats and then there's the marriage supper of the lamb. And it says they will bring out the hidden manna and they will present it to us. We get to eat that manna that they ate, the bread that fell from uh, heaven. They call angels food that we will be able to share. Uh, it talks about the river that flows and there are 12 kinds of trees with different 12 crops and fruits that you will eat. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. There are what is known, and we've been talking about, the seven feasts of the Lord. What does that make you think of? Food. There is something really radically enjoyable about eating. And when you eat, what happens? You kind of relax and you feel good. You get energy, you get life from the food. And then you're laughing and you're telling stories. Even the very verse that is used by Billy Graham, the great evangelist, and, and others who do evangelism around the world and through the last 2,000 years, including myself, We'll quote Revelation 3.20, where Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and will open the door, I will come in and dine or sup with them. Now, we immediately go, well, that's asking Christ in your life for forgiveness and eternal life and be saved. Yes, that's true, the figuratively true. But the analogy that Jesus used was of the joy and the intimacy and the conversation and the laughter and the friendship and the relationship that comes over sharing a meal. We even have uh, the, the one of the sacraments that we continue to follow. Well, the one is baptism, but once you get saved, you get baptized once, once you're genuinely born again, and then that's it. But communion, as we call it, or the Lord's Supper is something that we do as Jesus said, as often as you do it, there's no limitations to it, do it often and as often as you do it, you're remembering me. Jesus said, I am the true bread that comes from heaven. And so there's all of the joys that we have of, of eating and feasting and taste and see how good the Lord is. These are all, the idea is that they are, with our senses, you experience the reality of love and life and joy. So this is something for believers as well. I've been talking about this. It's not just knowledge or information, but it, there is an experiential aspect that is what God truly desires. Now the church through the years, what, what happens to us is we tend to lock into one area or another. And, and maybe this is because of the fall and we're always in a fallen condition until we come to heaven. But we tend to either get into our heads and then get lost in our heads to the denial of any experience or even looking down upon experience. It's all about doctrine. Well, it is about doctrine, but it's also all about knowing the Lord, experiencing the Lord. The Psalms talk a lot about this. Then there are others who get into experience and the reality and the miraculous and signs and wonders 
Uh, and this is of the Lord, and he will give evidence, and the signs will follow and confirm. And, and so they're into the gifts and speaking in tongues and miracles and healings. And wow, God is alive and he is real and Jesus is risen. But they too, if they only get lost in that, can begin to look down upon those who are so heady and into doctrine and they look at it as something that's merely divisive and, you know, so imbalance can be either, either way. Now, having not attained, uh, but at least having the hope and the desire is, I want it all, you know, to be challenged mentally, intellectually, doctrinally with the truth, the apologetics, the great truths of scripture. I also want to know the Lord, experience God, be led and moved by his Holy Spirit, amen? Pastor Ray Bentley will have more of today's study in just a moment. At Maranatha Radio, we've received so many cards, emails, and social media messages expressing appreciation for Pastor Ray's teaching. Pastor Ray was my pastor, and my heart hurt when I found out that he was gone from our presence. I know that he is greatly missed by so many. I always appreciated how he took time to talk to people. He was just so kind and full of love. I considered him not just my pastor, but my friend. And I'm thankful that this is not goodbye, as we will see him again in heaven someday. Listener comments are so encouraging. If you'd like to express your thoughts and tell us how these messages have impacted your life, would you take just 60 seconds and write an email? Send it to ray at raybentley.com or post it on our homepage at raybentley.com. And now more of today's message from Pastor Ray Bentley. So anyway, here is Jesus. Uh, Jesus was always open to an invitation to eat, going so far as to invite himself to Zacchaeus' house to dinner. He said to Zacchaeus, who was up in a tree, come down, Zacchaeus, for I would like to have supper in your home tonight. And uh, so if I could just add one little word of personal note, do not, in our culture, which... Everything, in fact, we have the name for it called fast food. And people are eating while they're doing a, a variety of other things and maybe not engaging with one another. There come those times where maybe putting a value in your home of actually turning off the TVs and other appliances and having, as a family, everybody sits down, eats, and communicates and shares what went on that day and what happened to you and where were you and what, what went on. Conversation, relationship. That's what relationship with the Lord is and that's what we ought to model in our homes. And the Sabbath was really uh, emphasized, and this is where in our own United States culture, the idea of Sunday, uh, the Sunday supper after church was when the, the extended family would gather together around food and communicate and share stories, catch up during the week, rest in the Lord and rejoice in the Lord for the answers to prayer and the things that God had done. So uh, think on these things. now. This particular meal was set to be a trap for Jesus. The place had been carefully chosen. The home was a prominent Pharisee where he and important guests that he had invited all with the purpose of observing Jesus firsthand on the Sabbath so that they could all verify in unison any sins or transgressions or violations of the Sabbath he may commit. 
And then notice, interestingly, that at this dinner party, which was designedly on the Sabbath, a day that Jesus had allegedly already violated on several occasions healing the sick, and on this particular day, conveniently, there is a sick person who has also been invited to the meal. Like, ah, Jesus. And what's interesting to me, here's this terrible trap where they thought they had him. They knew he was going to heal this guy. And as I put here in your notes, it is interesting that Jesus' own enemies knew that this rabbi, Jesus, could not be in the presence of human suffering for very long before he did something about it. In other words, that he healed them. And yet, sometimes your enemy's accusations are confirmation of a good and a godly thing. But Jesus turns the tables on these guys. And, and I want you to uh, notice what he did. Because here, as they set him up and they're waiting for him, they know there's a sick guy there, he's gonna touch this guy and heal him. And so what does Jesus do? In verse three, Jesus asks a question. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? That's all he said. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He has just turned the tables on them with one single simple question. Now, suddenly, it's not Jesus who is trapped, but they who are trapped. And because now, he's asked them openly before all these religious scholars, religious lawyers of the Jewish law, is it lawful or not to heal on the Sabbath? If they say yes, then he will say to them, so what's your problem with the other healings that you have seen? And they will appear hypocritical about being so strict about the Sabbath. If on the other hand they say no, which is what they really believed, because it was a lot of work for them to pray and go through all that they had to go through to pray for somebody to be healed, even if they were healed, probably many times they were not. And it, but if they say no, they'll appear inhuman, they'll, they'll appear cold, they will appear uh, being hard-hearted uh, with this man sitting right there, left in this horrible, horrible, crippled condition. So, being trapped now, their only response, they can't say yes, they can't say no, so what do they say? What do they say? Nothing. We are in a time where the world is, you know, challenging the church, and they're asking us questions. Have you noticed that many times the questions that they ask are a trap? because they have already, they know how we will probably answer and they have designed the question in a certain way to make us look in a, a bad and present us in a certain light and then, you know, edit around it uh, of the whole world's opinion that, yeah, these guys are crazy and screwball and look at them, bigoted, narrow-minded, whatever, in some way. I think that we might learn something from Jesus who did not allow himself to be trapped, but often, he did not often uh, answer direct questions. Just because they ask the question doesn't mean you have to answer it, especially when you know they really don't want the answer or they probably know what you already believe anyway. They knew uh, what Jesus felt about healings and the Sabbath. He'd already showed in his own actions. So how do you respond when someone is merely, they're not really asking you to find out, they're asking you to make you look bad, they're asking you to trap you. It is to learn, and this is something maybe, not that I have uh, the, the corner on, but something that maybe we can think about and learn from Jesus is this, and if you have a pen or pencil, write this down. Learn to answer a question 
with another question. And the question that you ask is also designed, as Jesus' question was, to put them in a trap that if they say yes, well, they're trapped this way, and if they say no, they're trapped in another way. And now the pressure is back on them. Jesus, how many times have you read in the Gospels that Jesus would answer a question, not directly. We know the answers as Christians and we study the doctrines and we could answer all Jesus' questions. But he never gave those direct answers. He only taught directly, listen to this, to those who actually wanted the answers and were ready to believe and receive those answers. Those are called disciples. Those are the people you speak directly to, who are hungry, who are honest, who are teachable, who are humble, who are ready to receive. How did he speak to those who were questioning, really challenging, already had predetermined or prejudiced themselves against Jesus and were plotting already his death now in the last six months on the way to Jerusalem? Some of these were those who were angry at him anyway. Well, he would speak in parables. Well, you could look at it this way or that way, or he would answer a question with a question. Perhaps Jesus' wisdom is something that our generation could learn something from. And so you start thinking about, I mean, everybody knows the debates and the certain issues that rise to the surface, again, ad nauseum with the same sides painted into various corners. Well, let's turn it around a little bit. What is a question that you could ask uh, that maybe would put the ball in the other person's court as far as pressure goes? And uh, it's interesting, if that weren't enough, it says they kept silent in verse four, and he took him and healed him. <laughs> I love it. But hey, while you're thinking about what you want to say, let's heal this guy. Because I didn't hear anybody say no. So then he heals the guy. He took him and healed him and let him go. Well, he's healed, go. Go where? Worship God. That guy wanted to worship God in the worst way and give glory to the Lord. And then he answered them saying, you would think, well, now Jesus, having trapped them, he's healed the guy, now he's gonna start teaching these guys sitting around the table. But what actually happens, verse five. And then he answered them saying, which of you having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? He asked them another question. Is it lawful to help a little animal that's trapped in a well on the Sabbath day? And what was their answer to that question? Verse six, and they could not answer him regarding these things. They didn't answer any of Jesus' questions. And so in other words, Jesus was able, this is wisdom of how to deal in a situation where you are being trapped and to learn to ask questions. Pastor Ray Bentley, Good insight straight from the example of Jesus. Glad you've joined us today here on Maranatha Radio. Today's presentation is titled Jesus' Invitation. If you missed any part of the presentation, you can hear a replay on iTunes or at raybentley.com. That's raybentley.com. We hope you'll stop by our site today. When you're there, you can leave a few words in tribute to Pastor Ray's life and ministry. And under media, you'll notice three words, watch, radio, and devo. Three ways to enjoy Pastor Ray's insights. 
Plus, click About and find out more about Pastor Ray and find out how you can come into a deeper relationship with the Lord. And at the bottom of the page, you can sign up to receive Pastor Ray's daily devotions via email, free of charge. And then, after 30 years on the radio and the passing of Pastor Ray Bentley in early 2022, we are approaching the end of the Maranatha radio program. We'd like to thank you, our dedicated listeners, who've joined us through the years as we've journeyed with Pastor Ray through the Bible. We'll be continuing the broadcast through the remainder of 2023, but we're excited to share that we'll have a dedicated online location to access all of Pastor Ray's content, including video, audio sermons, books, and more. Please visit raybentley.com to follow along with us but we hope you'll stay with us here on the radio through the end of the year. Next time, join Pastor Ray for more from our studies in the book of Luke. More from God's Word next time on Maranatha Radio. Maranatha, bringing the message of Christ's soon return, the whole gospel to the whole world. Maranatha Radio with Pastor Ray Bentley is an outreach of Maranatha Chapel, 10752 Coastwood Road, San Diego, California, 92127.